0: This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 1-1 one one Clothing Company making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at line one, one clothing on Instagram. And last but not least Monzingo knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo knives and get your American made Monzingo knife today. Hello and welcome to the show up dad. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers. At the show up dad, we have recognized that providing for our children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Our guest today is RJ Zimmerman. He is a lineman working for the utility in Wisconsin. RJ is a second generation lineman in this trade. Okay. His dad was also a lineman who retired last year after 35 years of service. RJ started this podcast on his own two years ago called The Untapped Keg about mental health and sobriety, which is pretty awesome. Um, RJ's greatest job in the world, next to being a lineman, is being the father of two boys ages four and two. RJ has been married for six years to his beautiful wife. RJ, welcome to the show up, brother. Thanks for having me absolutely man so the reason why i called you on here is because we've been dealing with a lot of uh, mental health issues sobriety and stuff like that as we all know it's the elephant in the room when it comes down to our trade it's affecting a lot of people not just us in general as a trade but a lot of men out there okay so i want you to be able to open up about your story about sobriety about mental health and i'll let you take it away brother thank you
1: i appreciate it um, so first thing, uh, my name's RJ Zimmerman. I'm an alcoholic, been sober for eight years. Um, and two years ago, I started a podcast with my brother-in-law to talk about our sobriety. So he's also an alcoholic and he's been in recovery for, uh, about six years. And when I first started going sober, listening to podcasts, uh, every once in a while, there'd be a story brought up of somebody being sober it made me feel like I wasn't alone. So, uh, I wanted to provide that for other people out there. And we started a podcast just talking about how, you know, everything in our life affects our sobriety, but our sobriety doesn't affect everything in our life. So what does that look like day to day? What are we doing? A part of that was going into mental health. And I could never have dreamed how much this podcast has opened me up to change, like really digging deep into uh, my, me being very self-loathing. Like I hated myself. I had no self-esteem and I was so deep into it. I didn't even realize it. And I met so many people hearing their stories. It just, it makes you see things from a different perspective. And when we get different perspectives, we can look at our own lives and be like, how can I make things better? You don't know how you can make things better unless you hear a different way of doing it and being a lineman, you know, where I tried really hard not to follow into my dad's footsteps. Um, part of that was, uh, I was kind of pushed to four-year school. I think we all were my generation. I'm 35 years old and, uh. You know, they told us, you have to go to four-year school. You have to go to get your bachelor's degree. You got to do this if you want to make something of your life. But that was the biggest lie we were ever told. And so I went to four-year school. The 08 crash happened. You know, 2012 still wasn't looking very good. And I looked at what I like to do. And I was an athlete going through high school. Um, I worked for the utility that my dad just retired from in the summers as a summer helper kind of a line inspector, but I'd go out and help the guys every once in a while when they needed help. And I realized like that was the most fun that I had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was like, you know what I could probably, uh, I could raise a family on a lineman wage like that my dad did. And we were pretty comfortable. We weren't ever, uh, you know, going from meal to meal. So maybe I'll look into doing that. So I went to line school and kind of right before I got a lineman job was when I went sober. It was like right at the end of line school. So it was the best decision that I made in my life was going to line school.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, definitely. It, uh, it's a big eye opener when you step into that role as a father to provide for your, your family. You know, You literally are putting yourself in a position to where You don't care what it takes. You just need to provide for your family, you know, and that's what this trade is all about. You know, this trade is about providing for our family. I like that you said that, you know what I mean? You wanted to raise your family like your father did in a sense to where you weren't living paycheck to paycheck, you know,
1: and that's a blessing
0: to be able to do that, you know,
1: and it's pride in your job too. So people would ask me what I did before mm-hmm. I got, I got into line work and I'd be, you know, I was a utility locator for a big, uh, utility locator in the United States and I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell people that I did that. Like I was almost ashamed of it cause it was so low level, even though there's no reason to be ashamed of that. I just felt like there was more for me. But as soon as I got you know into an apprenticeship, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a lineman like I'm an apprentice, but I'm still a lineman. I help put people's lights back on. Like, that's there's a deep sense of pride that comes with that.
0: You know, that's funny that you said that because, uh, I can relate big time. Um, I remember my neighbor, he was a narrow back, right? And, uh, we we're eating, he was having a barbecue and stuff. He invited us over, and his brother in law was there. And he's like, Oh, I see you, uh, you have a, uh, a line truck at your house. Cause they allowed me to bring a, a digger truck back. We had just came back from on storm. This is in like Oh five, Oh six. And um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a lineman. He's like, so you're a lineman. I was like, well, I'm an apprentice. And he's like, Oh, okay. Like it didn't even matter. You know what I mean? I'm i I'm just an apprentice, you know? And I, yeah. I kind of felt that shame, you know what I mean? And you know, hindsight's 2020 looking back, it's like, dude, you couldn't even get in. You know what I mean? You couldn't even <laughs> carry my tools back then. You, you know, whatever. But uh, when he said that, he was like, it was like a shame because yeah, you you know, they looked at you kind of like if you didn't have that status, right? Then yeah, you were, you were nothing. You know what I mean? And I, later on, I found out that the reason why he was acting that way was because his uh, his brother in law was a utility lineman. And, um, who worked for the, the local utility. So that's why he was like, Oh, are you alignment? Oh, you're just an apprentice. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, you could even do what it, what it took to even get him. They wouldn't even pick you. So what are you <laughs> snickering at? You know what I mean? But I could relate is what I'm trying to get at there. RJ. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I, you know, <laughs> that just reminded me of a story going through the apprenticeship and passing. So we had a, it was a four year apprenticeship that we did in three and a half years. So, um, you got you know from your your steps were your years Mm -hmm. and when you're a first year it's basically your probation or you can't do anything energized so second year you can finally start to work secondary so i was so excited i was talking to a friend in my class and i'm like oh have you worked anything hot yet and there was a a younger guy who was a journeyman there he started laughing i'm like what he's like that's not hot work hot work is only you know primary secondary is you're just doing." secondary work and i'm like well it's the only voltage i can touch right now so if, to me that's hot work i don't care and i started <laughs> laughing but like you know he wanted to put me in my place and it's like why i wasn't you know puffing my chest out saying like i'm you know god's gift to line work i was just saying i'm excited to touch something energized actually
0: <laughs> dude i remember all the apprentices would get these stickers jl line or not jl but they would say uh lineman on them, right and The guy on the pole and stuff like that, and we had some uh hands from Arizona because I worked with a lot of 769 hands. And uh, dude, they came and they scraped off all the lineman stickers off of all the apprentices' trucks. Like, you will not put that stuff on your truck, you haven't earned that title yet. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I hope they didn't see mine, (laughs) yeah. And uh, I I thought it's a level of pride, definitely, you know, when you. You go out there and you know even now you know people ask me well what do you do you know i'm all covered with tattoos and stuff you know and they're like well what do you do it's like i'm a journeyman lineman and then they're just like oh okay yeah man oh that's a crazy that's a dangerous job you guys make a lot of money huh and it's a, it's a level of pride you know because we've earned that ticket you know oh
1: yeah yeah and you know honestly at I- parties and gatherings people just want to hear stories Mm -hmm. and we all have them we all every single one of us has them so and they're fun i'm not gonna lie like (laughs) we seen some crazy stuff in the world so it is is fun to reminisce a little bit
0: no for sure especially with those old guys i bet your dad had some great stories man
1: yeah i mean you know he when he was going through And he worked in the same, he didn't just work at the same utility for 35 years. He worked in the same district Mm. for 35 years. And one of the guys that he worked with, they worked together for 25 to 28 years together, Mm. so in the same district. So like, it's, you know, that's a measure of pride on its own too. He, but the stories that he has, it was still, it wasn't as safe, even though we're going through a really, um, honestly it's a a lot of accidents a lot of fatalities right now it was still more unsafe back then in the 80s and the early 90s than what it is today and so he has some he has some stories that I've like raised my eyebrows at like that is you guys were nuts (laughs) (laughs) kind of like that story I told you about throwing a logging chain over to
0: the primary and the neutral, and make sure it's dead. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> That's crazy, huh? Some of the stuff that is still going on is, I mean, it's ratty. I mean, out here in Cali, you, you, you get smoked for doing that. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, definitely newer and improved ways to, to do line work that are a lot safer and a lot better for you. Um, I thought it was interesting that you said RJ, how it was danger more. Well, I don't like to use, the word dangerous, hazardous. Okay. So it's more hazardous back then. Right. Yep. But there was not as many accidents happening. Why do you think that is?
1: It's, you know, at that time, Mm -hmm. and this, this is what I feel the entire industry is going through. We all know the older generation has retired. It's not, they are retiring it's they have retired. Mm -hmm. So When they were going through the apprenticeship back then they were being trained by people, you know, 30, 40 years in the trade and they've, they saw going through, they were basically the pioneers of linemen. Mm -hmm. You're talking people who started in like the forties when the electrification of the United States was still happening, or even like the fifties and sixties, when it's still trying to get electricity to everybody, like. They learned from those people utilities and not just utilities, contractors, everyone was not prepared for the turnover that we've gotten. So now you have people 10, you know, 10 years is a long time at a company right now, especially as a lineman. they're doing the training. They haven't seen what those older guys saw, that you do things a certain way because you saw one time the worst happened mm-hmm. and then you have that young hubris going through, too. Oh, you know, that happened to you. That's not going to happen to me. And so when you don't have like a group of people saying, This is what happened, and you have somebody saying, Who's training, like, Oh, this the guy who taught me told me that this happened to him one time. So that's the reason I do this. Mm. And then you have the young guys, Oh, well, that never happened to you. That's not gonna, definitely not going to happen to me. And you start taking, it's not just taking shortcuts. Like you start doing everything haphazardly and -hmm. it just leads to more accidents. And that's, and then utility companies got used to having that experience and contractors and everybody else. So they think they can get by with fewer crews, but you have less experience. You need more crews to do the same amount of work, Mm -hmm. but they won't hire because they're used to making that profit it's profits over people.
0: Wow, no, I agree with you 100%. Um, to even add on to that. what I've seen too is you know we have more more gear, more gadgets, more everything, right? Yeah, and people are buying those things and I I want to quote a good friend of mine who works with me. His theory is, you know you have a tool list. when you're in the union, they have a tool list, right? What you're supposed to have, which is Klein's, uh you know which is your side cutting pliers your channel locks your your wrenches your hammer and a knife right in a folding ruler you know pretty much around the country that's what you're supposed to have according to your contract right yeah so, with that being said it never says milwaukee hard money gun it never says uh uh you know all these different uh a uh, press you know a candlestick press it, it doesn't have any of these other tools that these people are buying you know um So now you're buying these things, which is making your life easier. But the same token, it's speeding up production. So you went from two poles a day to now four or five poles a day. And guess what? Now that's expected of you every day Mm -hmm. and more. So you literally, when you're buying these tools to make yourself, make life easier for yourself, you literally are breaking down conditions. If you think about it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And then when you take that, you have these new tools mm-hmm. and you had the old guard that was doing a certain amount every day as a young journeyman, young foreman, you think you should be getting the same amount done as those old guys with, and the, those new tools. So you're absolutely right. So we put this pressure on ourselves. Do we ever do enough? Mm -hmm. And for myself, like I never felt like I did enough. So I always felt rushed and I can guarantee that the younger kids would see what I'm doing. They could feel me feeling rushed and they internalize that as well that they had to rush.
0: Mm. Yes, we definitely set that uh, atmosphere. I mean, we even do that at the home. If you really think about it, when you get home and you're still in lineman mode, right? Your family, if you haven't decompressed before you got there, your family starts feeling that anxiety that you've built up, that rush, that need to get something accomplished. And then now they're rushed. And that creates all kinds of anxiety disorders in our kids, believe it or not.
1: Yeah. I mean, even between partners, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, just thinking about doing things a certain way, like uh, yeah, as a lineman, fewest movements possible, right? Mm -hmm, You mm -hmm. you try to do things smooth, one motion, you finish things at a level, you move to your next level. So you're not booming up and down. Well, when you're doing tasks at home, what do you do? Well, your Mm -hmm. brain is working that way. You're going to do things that way. So you're no wasted movements. Well, when you watch your partner or your wife do something and there's wasted movement, you start to get a little bit critical. Hey, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> you yep. know, and that's something that I know I did. I can remember like my dad doing that to me and it's not his fault. Like, and I, it, it took a lot for me to see that I was bringing that home and it was never pointed out to me that I brought it home. I just honestly, it was through the podcast that I realized like I am bringing stuff home that should not be brought home. Huh. And that's one of them.
0: Yeah, you, you definitely start getting super critical about the way they work. I just started, uh, I'll give them the task. I'll set the parameters. That's what's helped mm-hmm. me. And then I let them do it. And then if they have questions, I allow them to ask me. And then I give my insight. Otherwise, you're going to be one-stepping them. And that is so detrimental, especially for my teenage daughter, dude, when I'm one-stepping her and telling her every, you know, basically just one-stepping like you would do at work. Tongue her every move and everything like that dude it just breaks them down to where she actually told me she's like i am never going to be perfect enough for you you know so it's so important to to turn that off and just set the parameters guys i mean if you got you know the guys who are listening right now set those parameters let them know their boundaries let them work in that confinement and that boundaries that you set for them and then let them figure it out i mean One of the biggest complaints I'm having right now, RJ, is you cannot teach common sense, right? All these guys, they're they're super book smart that are coming out. Yeah. They they can tell you about fair residence, everything. They could break it down, everything, right? But they're lacking the common sense to get out of the bite. They're walking under loads. And it's like, dude, you know, what point of that don't you understand that if that thing breaks – it's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just common sense. And then I started talking to all kinds of psychologists and stuff like that. And they're like, dude, well, common sense is basically you setting parameters for your kids and letting them figure it out, letting them get themselves out of a bind. And how many times RJ do we say it's not what makes it, what makes a good lineman is how they get out of a bike. Cause you're going to get in a bind, right? When you get oh, in a high man. line bind and stuff like that. What makes a good lineman is how he's going to get himself out of that bind. That's when he starts having to think. And sometimes we got to let our kids, our spouse get in a bind without being critical and then just offering, you know, advice. Okay, well, maybe try this or what if you do this, you know, and then letting them figure it out, especially for our kids, you know, and that's going to help them develop that common sense that is so lacking in the world today.
1: And one thing with my kids that I do, and I've done it, since they were a baby, um, is I explain everything to them. Right. I over explain and mm-hmm. it has helped my four year old understand like the boundaries even better, because if I say no, I don't just say no, because I said, so I say no, because, and this is why, and if I can't, and I have done this multiple times, where if I say no and I can't come up with a reason for it, it's probably because I don't want to deal with like what's going on and that's a me problem that's not a him problem so then i say no daddy's wrong go ahead go do it like running splashing in a puddle it's a warm day we're walking they're not riding in the truck like why can't he go splash in that puddle there's no reason go splash in the puddle like i'm i'm just i don't want to clean you up when we get home is what it comes down to well you're a kid go be a kid go have fun And like, you know, that's just a simple example, but there's been other times too, where uh, I've just said no, because I didn't want to put the um, energy forth for something. And, you know, that's the same. If you take that with kids, you know, that's the same way with apprentices. And that's something that we don't think about uh, when we journey out. Now it's, oh, we get to have fun. We get to do it all. But like you said... The book smarts, you know, they need help with their mechanical, how to do things from a mechanical perspective. I was one of them. My dad did pretty much everything because there was no reason, like he could do it four times faster and better than the way that I could. So when it came to, um, you know, doing certain stuff, like I didn't have a lot of hands on, I knew how he did it, but not a lot of hands-on experience. So I had to learn with my hands-on. Mm-hmm. That's the same way with a lot of people that go into line work. We need to f- remember that they need to put their hands-on to learn for most of it. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, and, and that that goes, it coincides with what um, Dr. Stephen Gurian from the National Father Institute of Spokane, Washington, always says, it says, men are very spatial. We need to see things and that's why, um, psychology is failing men to stay. Okay. He says, you can't take the same parameters and sit a man down for 45 minutes and have someone talk to him about their feelings. It just doesn't work. Cause we're not wired that way. He's like, we need to start changing the way the game is changing the atmosphere, start putting them in these, 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 um, these positions to where they're actually working with their hands. Um, the, one of the ways he does it is he throws a ball with them while he's in the office, he allows them to stand up and he plays catch with them in the office. And he's like, Oh, I'm getting a better response talking to these guys. Cause now they're, they're playing catch. Right. With me in the office. And now they're starting to talk because now their hands are moving. They're, they're, they're starting to use their hands, you know, and that's super critical. That's why, some of the best conversations you're going to have with your son are is going to be while you're wrenching on the truck, or when you talk to a kid or an, another father and say, "What is your some of your fondest memories?" They're going to say, oh, "Man, I remember my dad used to play catch with me," and it's because that's the way we're wired. We're never designed to just be sitting down, telling about or talking about our feelings. That's that's more for, um, that's that's more of a a, a woman's perspective, right? Because men are very very active in what we do. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's interesting that you, that you said that, you know, um, I too, my father did the same exact thing. I didn't really learn. Like I saw what hard work is. I I had to do the grunt work, like chopping wood and, and, and making kindling for my mom and all this other stuff, picking up bells and stuff and helping with the fences. But when it came down to doing the actual work, like using the tractor and stuff like that, I was never allowed to. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean that was my dad's job you don't touch <laughs> it I can do it faster I don't got time like you said you know and um so when I went to the military I didn't I didn't get that uh training either so I had to literally be I I don't you know I'm, I'm big enough now and honest enough to say that I learned how to actually work work like mechanical aptitude in line work they showed me how to use a crescent wrench, right? You know you'll be surprised how many people don't know how to turn the jaws on a crescent wrench the right way you know and i was one of those guys and you know they had to show me that you know so you're absolutely and, right when when you don't allow your kids to to do this stuff and teach them and then allow them to do it it, it definitely hinders you
1: and you know part part of the problem with how we're raised as men is there shame in not knowing how to do something right yep. it doesn't matter what it is it doesn't matter if you've never been exposed to it it doesn't matter any of it all that matters is you don't know how to do something and it's just straight shame it's not just guilt it's shame hi <laughs> and and we do it as linemen like oh you know you don't you don't know the difference between 122 40 you don't know a over c how do you not know that <laughs> and it's like i you know one of the My favorite things that I I used going through the apprenticeship, or even as a young journeyman, uh, my line school teacher told me is you're not born a journeyman. And they weren't either. They had to learn it too. Sometimes people need to be reminded that you weren't born a journeyman. And that goes to everything in life. Mm -hmm. You weren't born knowing something. So it's okay to have to learn. But sometimes we forget that that's a process.
0: Mm Yes, it's definitely a process. And we got to just have that patience to be able to show this next generation, you know, whether it be in our own homes, or the next generation in our trade, them coming up, you know what I mean, we have to show that patience. Um, One of the things I wanted to talk to you about RJ is you, you keep on talking about your father. And I wanted to ask you, how is your
1: relationship with your father being aligned? Um. It was, honestly, growing up, he was a a great dad. Um, I don't remember, I can count on one hand the amount of like sporting events or extracurricular activities that uh, my dad was not at. So, but he worked a lot. I mean, that doesn't mean he didn't work a lot. He was working, you know, 1,000 to 1,200 hours of overtime a year uh, when I was growing up, and I, I didn't know that. I knew he was out a lot. I remember him going to work storms, but every time he'd go on storm, he'd come home with football cards. And, you know, it was, I had a very good relationship with my dad growing up, but he was hard on me. And, um, I'm the oldest. I have a younger brother and a younger sister and it was on me to do the chores and make sure they did the chores too. Um, and you know, that, taught me a lot about responsibility and it helped instill in me a work ethic that uh got me noticed you know doing line work at the utility and every honestly everywhere i worked uh but it it's not to say that it wasn't tough at times uh growing up with you know a hard-headed stubborn father who is you know he's a damn good lineman and um I would say a typical father, right? Where at that age, and it's different for everybody, but when we say that age as guys, we we're, to, you know, there's uh, handshakes and a how you doing, and no more I love you and a hug. Mm-hmm. And uh, that part was rough, like when I needed to be able to express my emotions mm-hmm. and being taught that the only emotion that is okay is anger, even more than joy, even more than anything else. Like anger can be expressed and that's okay, but everything else uh, needs to be muted. And, you know, my senior year uh, baseball, their bases were loaded two outs down by one and I grounded out to the second baseman to make the final out of my, uh, high school career. And that just devastated me because we should have won that game even before that. And, uh, I was just, you know, I was a mess after the game. I was bawling, I was crying, got a hug from my mom and my dad standing there. goes, what are you crying about? This is nothing to cry about. Just, you need to stop. And it's like, I was so mad at that moment. Um, and My dad is a good father and he's a good grandpa, but emotionally Mm -hmm. we have never connected and I don't know if we ever will. Um, So that's kind of where our relationship is now, where um, I followed in his footsteps a lot, but that part is where I want to change it. And uh Mm -hmm. You know, my dad is a, he's a, he's a great man. He's a great person and he's a great father, but there's also places that we could, uh, you know, get better, change things, see different perspectives.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of men can relate with what you just spoke on because I mean, I know I can, um, a lot of times we for for lack of better words we feel that we can't talk to our fathers about that you know i don't know whether it be shame or whatever i know i i, I know i have a hard time bringing it up to my father the way he made me feel you know and um because you do as a little kid you look up to your father he yes. is your world yep. i mean i i remember my dad's a little man he, i mean he's I, i'm short too i'm real stocky anybody who knows me knows who i am and what i'm about and um you know, my dad was the same way. And that man was the only man I've ever feared. <laughs> like literally. And with that being said, I never questioned anything. He said, if he said, this is this, that was in stone. <laughs> you know what I mean? And his yeah. word, his word meant everything. Right. And, um, I think it would have been a lot more productive if he would have just said, hey, man, I'm proud of you. Hey, you're doing an amazing job. And I think that's, as men, we need to hear that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I found myself, um, and it took me a while to see this, but I found myself going through the apprenticeship, Mm -hmm. trying to make the journeyman say that be proud of me. I'm doing things. I'm working, going the extra mile. I want to make them proud of me. And then I realized, Oh, that's me trying to make my dad proud. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What do you know? I have a little bit of uh, I have a little bit of dad issues and I didn't even realize it. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And dude, I mean, spot on when you say that, because some of the linemen that I looked up to, I was doing the same thing and guess what? men are going to fail you you know what i mean yeah. one minute they're the greatest thing since sliced bread you can't do anything wrong you're you're great you're amazing my gosh all this stuff and then all those out of boys that you get all it takes is one oh shit and now you're 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 bag you know what i mean and all this oh, stuff yeah. you know and you know how that goes in the trade and then you're devastated you're like what the hell man i just busted my ass to try to get you to it because what it what you're really saying is it's acceptance bro that's that's what it's the 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 deeper issue is acceptance you want to be accepted because for whatever reason we feel like we didn't get acceptance from our own father at the home so you ever you're forever trying to find that acceptance you know
1: absolutely and you know that's part of the reason that I drank the way that I drank. I didn't drink all the time. Um, I'm the type of alcoholic that if I have one, it turns into 20, 30, 40 until I pass out. Yep. So I I had to stop drinking because of that. And, um, that's part of the reason is that when I would drink, like I would be the life of the party and I'd feel accepted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, or why so you would thought I, <laughs> right so then what why would i do that well all of a sudden i started to realize that like the acceptance starts with myself yep and i need to start accepting me as i am and then all of a sudden the love for that my kids will feel they'll start getting the best rj and the best rj is going to be a better partner better husband better father better son brother better brother like everybody's gonna get the best rj and that's gonna help everybody but where does it start it starts with myself looking in the mirror and saying you know you're not saying i love you or hey you look pretty awesome it's you know what you're okay you're gonna get through this and starting there and that's where i'm still at Mm -hmm. i still wouldn't call myself a friend to myself but i'm no longer looking in the mirror and calling myself a pos I'm no longer doing things and being like, God, I screwed that up. I can't believe it's like that. It's like, no, everything's up there. It looks good. Guess what? The fuse is holding like there is who cares if it took you two minutes longer than it did the last time you did it. Like it's fine. And that's kind of what we have to get to is you are okay. Looking I'm okay as a person, I can make people better around me and that starts with just being okay with yourself.
0: Yes, I agree 100% man, that self-acceptance. Um one of the things I started implementing in my family is I started to not being not be so critical. Like say for instance, I've recognized that my wife likes to be on time to everything. So if She's late because I didn't help her get the kids or whatever. Or she's r- running late. She starts kind of panicking. So then it's like, okay, how do I mitigate this? Instead of yelling at her or getting upset like I used to in the past, be like, well, it's your fault. You should have had the shit planned out. You know what I mean? How we can be critical yeah. as linemen. It's like, okay, well, how can we mitigate mi- mitigate this? Okay, so instead of complaining that you got to cook something for the potluck. Let's just go pick something up. Simple. You know what I mean? Solve it. You know, yeah. keep it simple. You know, it's something that I learned in the military. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, don't freak out about the things that you cannot change. You know what I mean? Just adapt and overcome. Implement that and make it simple. You know what I mean? People are not going to care if you showed up with, uh, you know, potato salad from the store, or you actually went through the process of you know, of making it yourself boiling the potatoes, all this different stuff. You know what I mean? Just Make it simple, you know. Why life's already difficult, and uh, life is already complicated as much as possible. Why make it any more? You know what I mean. Try to keep everything as simple as possible. You know,
1: that is perfect, especially as linemen, even working day to day, but going home, like we tend to complicate a lot of things <laughs> when really it's a couple, a couple different words will <laughs> will suffice, right? So. Yep. <clears throat> that that's I really like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, what uh, another one of one of the questions I want to ask you RJ real quick because since we're talking about your father, you know, a lot of the things I want to um, address with these fathers that are on the road, right? Yeah. Is how they make when they're on the road how big of an influence that is on your child's life and how did it make you feel like did you not knowing that your father was at work did it make you feel lonely or abandoned when he was gone all the time
1: for myself no like i was a very active kid i was very i had a pretty big imagination too so I would go outside and just honestly throw a ball baseball against a brick wall and catch it coming back to me, mm-hmm. but part of the reason that I didn't feel that way is when my dad got home, his attention was me Good. right Good. it was me, my brother, and my sister like that is that made me know that like even though he was gone and sure, I missed him and he missed birthdays um but I don't remember those times because they were, they weren't as impactful on me as, um, as him being there. And, you know, that's, that's, I remember. So when people talk about me, like I tend to zone out and don't, um, I can't really register what's going on. I just don't get comfortable in that. So my dad gave a speech at my wedding and I, I just remember like the first like four sentences, but he talked about how he wasn't there for everything. And, uh, you could feel the guilt in his voice. And I don't remember much of it afterwards, but I went up to him after. And I'm like, dad, you remember the times you weren't there, but I don't remember that that's not how I remember my childhood. You were always there. And, um, I think that that's what is important is that if you're gone, When you get home, the attention is on your children. It's not just, you know, it's not, we all have other things going on in our lives, Mm -hmm. but you have to give them your intention and your attention, and they will remember that more than anything else.
0: Man, I love that you said that. Fathers, listen up. You just heard it right out of the man's mouth, R.J. Zimmerman talking about, being where your feet are something that we always stress on this podcast and that is one of the core values rj of our foundation is being intentional and you just hit the nail right in the head you remembered the intentional movement of your father not the not the absence of him right but when he got home it was able to change the atmosphere and change the way you felt about him you know what i mean in that in, in that instance you know and That's important. I think I I, I super hope that the guys that are listening, they heard that because that's a big deal. That's one of the things that a lot of fathers are always asking me. They're like, man, I work 24 and eights, Dave, or whatever. You know what I mean? It's hard to be there. And it's like, look, dude, no one's telling you to quit your job at the end of the day. You got a choice to make, you know, what's right for your family. And when you do have off, make that time count. Cause that's something you don't get back. And it's going to be far more impactful than the time that you were gone.
1: You know, that is the truth,
0: man. That's, that's awesome, dude. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. Now you talked a little bit about your sobriety. Now, what are you doing as far as like mental health? Like, how do you, like what's helping you with all that?
1: So um, I've been, seeing a therapist for about two uh-huh. years. I've gone to like four different ones because I didn't realize this uh, until like uh, listening to a few people, but like not every therapist is gonna be for every person. It's just like, you know, coaches or any anything yeah. else. Like it's okay to say, this is not the relationship that I need from my therapist. Let's try a new one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was a big thing is like talking about, uh, what was going on in my life, trying to help find healthier coping strategies, right. For my stress. Um, because that, you know, I went from alcohol to work to, um, you know, honestly TV shows and movies. And I didn't really focus on myself trying to be the best me, but, um, so therapy was a big one. And then like reading books and listening to people's stories, because you can take pieces from somebody's story relate to it and maybe you could take something that they did and put it into your own life and you don't know if it'll work without trial and error kind of like i relate it to food a little bit Mm -hmm. if you're not willing to try a new food you don't know if you've had your favorite food yet or not something out there might be your favorite food but you're just too scared to try it Mm -hmm. so change is scary right taking that first bite of something that you're not sure how it's going to taste or feel or anything like that's scary but on the other side of that what is it it's possibly your favorite thing so um doing that and then just talking being open um you know one thing as men that we didn't have that we don't have is the vocabulary for our feelings Mm -hmm. we basically break everything down to happy mad glad sad well then, you know, if you don't know what's going on, you're not going to be able to fix it. You're just going to kind of push it back down. And we start to get shame when we feel emotions. It doesn't matter which emotion, we push it aside and it's shame. And so it's like this shame bubble pop just comes up and punches us in the face. And sometimes we can, you know, get back from it. And sometimes it keeps us down for a little while. Um, so one thing that I, I had on a therapist and she's amazing at, breaking things down at a beginner level, like taking high ideas and being able, like a really good teacher, like your favorite journeyman that taught you to break down everything that was going on in the pole and all of a sudden you have that moment that, oh, I can go up and I can troubleshoot this now. She did that for me with emotions and that, you know, your body is physically going to feel something when you're feeling an emotion. So when you physically feel that think, why am I feeling this? Like, what could it be? Like I, I, the other day I had this sense of dread, like something bad is going to happen. What is it? Well, my kids were on spring break. So my routine was completely thrown off. I woke up at a wrong time. Didn't make my own coffee. Like literally nothing in the morning went right. And it's like, Oh, I could be frustrated and irritated or I could be like, well, it's just my routine changed. I need to take a deep breath, calm down. And try to figure out how I can get over this. And that's, that has helped me more than most of my therapy sessions, to be completely honest. Just breaking down my emotions to that level is, uh has been just eye opening. Mm-hmm.
0: No, for sure. <laughs> I could see how that would be. um Just being more self aware of everything. And I, I, Break that down even simpler to being intentional. You know, um, yeah. You you talked about no wasted moves. Well, that's what being intentional is. You know, there's, you're not wasting a move because you're already thinking about it. You're planning ahead. You're being intentional with every single step that you do. And and I like that. You know what I mean? Because that's what we need to do. Even with our families, we need Mm -hmm. to be intentional with them knowing that, Hey, if I do this, this could be the outcome. If I do this, this could be the outcome, you know, um, and communication, communication is absolutely huge with our children and with our spouse. Yeah. You know, when we're saying one thing, but we don't mean it. Um, I know for my wife, she thought I hated her because of the way I spoke to her, you know, for the longest time she thought i absolutely hated her because why as a lineman what sometimes we talk harsh you know what i mean especially when we're being critical and we're like why the heck you know like an example would be like why the hell are you doing it like that that's stupid use your freaking head you know what i mean when you talk to your spouse or your children that way dude what do you think the message you're conveying to them is
1: that's the truth that's something that i was going to bring up too when we're negative and we're hypercritical like that we're wasting moves It doesn't matter if, you know, what is going on there. Like, if it has to do with somebody else or another crew and how they're doing something, unless it's unsafe, who cares how they do something? Who cares if it takes them 10 minutes longer, right? That's theirs. What can you do for yours? What's something that they do that you like? And this is the same thing with cooking at home with laundry, with whatever task it is. You know, if they're the ones doing it, like you said, like those are the parameters, let them do it, Mm -hmm. whether it be your wife or whatever. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is absolutely massive. And that's something that's the difference between a healthy crew and a healthy family. Mm -hmm. And honestly, an unhealthy one that everybody's walking on eggshells and completely stressed out. Mm -hmm. And
0: it's it's good that you relate that because your crew is your family yeah vice versa your family is your crew um we spend a lot of times more time with our crew at work than we do our own family you know and that's where the whole term our brother's keeper you know what i mean because when you're spending that much time with your bucket buddy or whatever your pole buddy you get to know that person pretty pretty darn good you know i had a uh, one of my my bucket buddies uh jeff great guy. Um, he would tell me sometimes like, man, I don't think we can get more intimate Dave and we're up in the sticky icky, you know, working in between phases and all kinds of stuff trying to change out the stupid buck and doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, this is back before all the, you know, tools and stuff that they've developed, you know, and you know, that I had to rely on him. I had to rely on him to watch my back, you know, to tell me, all right, dude, you're cool. I got your back. You know, he was watching my back at that moment, you know, and that's how we need to be with our family as well. You know, they need to know that daddy's got their back, or your wife needs to know that, hey, my man's got my back, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that goes, like you said, to your friends too, because Mm -hmm. as men, when we have friends, What do we talk about? Sports, hunting, fishing. We don't talk about our feelings. So when you feel alone, when you're going through something very, very stressful, Mm -hmm. what do we tend to do? We tend to insulate. We tend to draw within ourselves. And because we don't want to be burdens, we don't want to uh, upset somebody. We don't want them to think we're weak. Right. And that is, one of the most unhealthy things you can do, like, you know, letting your family know or having a friend that you can actually talk to that's not going to be like, what do you talk about? Well, you're so weak. You know, you're <laughs> talking like a girl right now, quit being a little sissy, like stuff like that. Like, no, like we need to talk about what is really going on in our lives. If we want to be our best selves and be there for everybody. Mm-hmm
0: absolutely and that's that's let's, let's even look at that since we're we're linemen, right and yeah. we could apply that in a different perspective like you said insulate right well what's the what's what's some of the tasks that we do when we're rubber gloving, right we identify we insulate we isolate we test and we ground right yeah. so you're absolutely right we insulate right we start self-preserving we, why do we insulate we insulate because we want to put up protective boundaries. Right. And then mm-hmm. we tend to isolate. Right. So we put up these walls, we isolate ourselves. We test to see if that person is safe. And if they're not, then we ground them literally. Right. Yeah. And we don't want to open up to these people, you know, and I I see it all the time. Cause I, I talk to Lyman like, Oh man, how am I going to tell this guy what's going on inside of me? when one minute homies blaring out about this other guy's problems and saying what a POS he is. And then when the guy comes up, he's shaking his hand, like if nothing. Yeah. Being two-faced. And I, and I agree a hundred percent. Why are you going to want to open up to that dude who's spilling his guts about everybody is just talking bad about everybody. I mean, to me, that's just using wisdom, you know? So what I told the man was dude, I mean that's common sense. You know, obviously you're not going to go open up to that guy. Find someone you can open up to. Find someone who's trustworthy because there is people out there. Trust me, there is. There's some good human beings out there. But at the end, uh, at the other edge of that coin too, there's some very, very bad individuals too that I like to call bad yeah. individuals, bad human beings. You know, who don't have your best interests. For whatever Absolutely. reason you know what i mean and that that goes in that's just in life you know what i mean And you got to have that wisdom to be able to see that
1: you know i agree completely <laughs>
0: <laughs> well once again rj brother thank you for coming on our podcast uh this has been amazing i appreciate what you're doing you guys check him out he's got his own podcast called the untapped keg and he he you know, talks about mental health and sobriety and stuff like that. If you want to give them a follow RJ, how can they follow you? Are you on Instagram or anything like
1: that? Or. You can find us on every single social media platform under untapped keg. So, yeah, we got lucky. We were able to nail down on every platform untapped keg. And, uh, you know, our DMS are open. If you need to talk, um, we're there, no judgment, just straight there to listen, peer to peer support. And in my, uh, what I've noticed is the peer to peer support is sometimes more powerful than the professional support. So, uh, feel free to reach out if you need to.
0: Amen, brother. No, definitely, man. We got to do this again. I appreciate I you coming on here and just, uh, sharing your wisdom, RJ.
1: Thank you for having me. This was, <laughs> this was incredible. I can't believe an hour's up already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right on brother. We'll be talking at you soon. See you down right. the line.